maximize your influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome, everybody, to episode 59 of Maximize Your Influence. Steve Olson here with Kurt Mortensen. Kurt, I've been in uh, Denver for a few uh, days, and there is a new substance that is legal there. So if I'm a little <laughs> off, maybe I've got a contact high going on. So does that mean there's like, like a lot more smog in the area, and then just walking through it, it changes your uh, mindset and demeanor? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't smell great at first, but after a few minutes, it's smelling pretty good, right? <laughs> <laughs> It'll be interesting how that one plays out, that uh, afternoon work break. You don't think you get a lot of productivity out of your employees. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty interesting to see. And, and the people in Colorado are very polarized about it. Some of them just love it. Others just hate it. They're totally embarrassed by it. But it'll be interesting <laughs> to see. They're kind of pioneering that whole legalization movement, and and we will see what it does. I've heard, though, that it's putting the herd on some of the the dealers and cartels down in Mexico because it you know, lowers the prices, arguably. I know a lot of people might take issue with that, but that's what I've heard. I'm not saying it is or is not true. Well, it sounds like it would happen. I mean, you, you legalize something, prices go down. I think that happened in Europe too in a couple spots. And yeah, so they're going to have to find new markets and or shut it down. Yep. And we'll leave it to the listeners on their opinion as to whether prices going down is good or bad. <laughs> Although, hey, you know what? I think there's something to be said for the fact that now they collect tax revenue on it. And it was probably getting sold whether they were, you know, it was legal or not. And so they weren't getting the revenue before and now they are. Something well, I'm sure that was the, the big argument, the tax revenue. It's happening yes. anyway. We got to might as well get taxes from it. And Might as well. Might yeah. As well. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. We'll give them a few years and we'll come back and revisit and see what's really happened. Well, are they going to even really be able to take advantage of it, or is everybody going to be too baked to make this something productive? <laughs> well, if you're baked, people are going to cook the books, and the statistics are going to show whatever you want. So I mean, we might never find out what's going on. <laughs> They're going to have a meeting about it in five years, and, and the consensus is going to be, it's awesome, man. <laughs> That's going to be the meeting at Taco Bell, right? Yeah, just, right, right. Taco Bell, make sure you have a bag of Cheetos at every yeah, the meeting. cravings all taken care of, and they'll be good to go. That's right, that's right. Well, good, good, that's good. A nice tangent for today. Anyway. Yeah, it's our first, our first tangent of that nature. What you been up to? Just uh, making it happen, working on some online systems, and I haven't traveled for a week or two, so it's been kind of nice. That so, is kind of nice. I'm jealous. I'm getting creamed with I was supposed travel. to go to... Vegas, but it got canceled, so that's good and bad, but it's always nice to keep my feet on the ground. Yes, yes. Well, you've been working on some online systems, and let's talk about that, because we've heard from many listeners about, you know, they're loving the podcast. What other resources do they have available to kind of kick things up a notch? I think we're getting pretty close to releasing something there, are we not? We are. Are we teasing here? Is that what we're yes, doing? We are teasing. Go ahead and tease. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've putting everything together in what's called Influence University, and it will bring together pretty much my life's work on persuasion and influence. Listeners will be able to get past recordings of the podcast. There'll be persuasion software. There'll be an article library of over 500 articles. There'll be over 100, there's a couple hundred videos, four or 500 audios all mapped out to where you can either follow the system or if you're running into a challenge where everyone's saying it's too expensive, 
you can find the solution right away. Years in the making, finally happening. So that persuasion software, Kurt, that is on, that's an app on iPhone. Is it on, on Android platform as well? It started on iPhone and we kind of took it back and revamped it to put it online to really enhance it. There's a modified version on the, I believe on the iPhone. Okay. But what these persuasion software does is it persuades for you. So every potential objection you're ever going to get, 77 by the way, it gives you multiple answers to adapt your personality to how to handle it. So if you're on the phone, you click on it, all of a sudden you get the answers. If you're not getting trust, you click on it, it tells you what to do. If they're getting angry, you click on another button, it tells you what to do. Simple software, but it took a lot of effort to kind of fill in the blanks as far as angry versus indifferent versus too expensive versus I need to talk to my spouse. Now that's pretty cool. So you're having an objection, you're on the phone or whatever, what do I do? And you just know. I, I would imagine at some point you'll have that software memorized, but we'll keep adding to it and uh, developing it out. And then, like you said, your life's work, everything you've done, all the recordings, all of the research is there. So you can have a lot at your fingertips for as low as $9.99 a month, I think, right? But wait, there's more. What? <laughs> well, I I'm just shocked. to say that. <laughs> yeah, it's fun <laughs> it's to say. It's my favorite thing to say. I had to say it. Yeah, we should have a but wait, there's more segment on the show because it's that fun to say. That's true. That's the one thing we can add. I like that. Yeah. It's uh, probably a few weeks out, so we'll get you some more information, let you know. We'll have some great introductory prices to help you out. And, of course, we need some beta testers, so we'll let you know. Yeah, I think we should do some kind of a beta test program, you know, deep discount type deal. And you can be our guinea pigs. We like guinea pigs. So I was, I was with a client who's from Peru over the last few days, and apparently guinea pigs are just a huge delicacy there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not only Peru, but in Ecuador. My daughter went down to help out in an orphanage down in Ecuador and trying to be a nurse and do a few other things. And she did eat guinea pig, and we got pictures to prove it. So that area of the world, that's actually quite a delicacy. What did she say? I mean, are guinea pigs really, are they are they good? She didn't enjoy the eyeball and brain part, but for the most part. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's pretty good. I'm pretty adventurous. That's one thing I haven't had. I've eaten a lot of different things, especially when you go to Asia, you eat some strange things. But that's one I guess our equivalent here in the United States in the South, our Southern listeners, would be squirrel. Squirrel. Well, weigh in. Send us an email if you have a squirrel, because I know in the South they tend to eat some squirrel. <laughs> squirrel. And, a and if I'm way up. off, send me an email and let me have it. But I'm pretty sure I've had people in the South let me know they've eaten squirrel. We've gone out of our way to insult people in the South, and they generally have been pretty quiet in defending themselves. Oh, come on, Southern people. Let us know what you got. Yeah, what's Is the problem, squirrel? Guys? I don't know, guinea pig, squirrel. If so, if you had a choice on a menu, would you choose guinea pig or squirrel? Yeah, no, way no, in. You need a, which one would you do? No, you. I want your answer. Oh, my answer? I'd go yeah. guinea pig. Guinea pig? I think squirrel. I don't know. That's <laughs> my methodology isn't very complex here. I'm kind of going, well, I like ribs and a guinea pig. It's pigs. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, then the other one, squirrels are wild, guinea pigs are probably, eh, anyway. Anyway, I, yeah, yeah, there's our food tangent for the day. We're on it. We've had a drug tangent and a food tangent. Maybe the drug tangent got us all munchy. <laughs> there you go. On the food tangent. <laughs> okay, well, let's actually give the people what they come for, shall we? You've got an article about the traits of emotionally resilient people, and when you're in sales, I think you need to be emotionally resilient. It's not for people with thin skin. Any aspect of success is going to talk about emotions, emotional IQ. I found this out when I started teaching negotiation. Negotiation is a very simple thing until the emotions get involved. When two people get divorced, logically, it's really easy, but you get that emotion involved, strange things happen. And 
And when you look at really great persuaders, influential people, successful people, happy people, it's all about that emotional intelligence, being emotionally resilient. And that's an important aspect. And emotions are fascinating. In fact, I don't know if you knew this, emotions can be addicting. Did you yeah. know that? Yeah, they can. I mean, Even if it's a bad emotion. It could uh, be bad or yeah, good. People I mean, get addicted. When you feel an emotion, it releases neuropeptides into your body, and it can become addicting, whether it's anger, depression, frustration. A lot of the negative emotions can become addicting. You probably know people that are always finding escape through overworking or through TV or through drugs. There's a lot of ways to escape those emotions. And so a lot of our addictions actually come from our escape because we don't want to deal with our emotions. And that's the worst thing to do because emotions are a lot of ways are like gauges on a car. They'll tell you what's happening on the inside. It doesn't matter whether it's good or bad. You have to deal with it. You can't pretend that your car's not overheating. <laughs> Just like you can't pretend it doesn't matter if you're angry every 10 seconds. So this is a powerful skill in every aspect of life. And it's interesting. This is from Psychology Today. This is Brad Waters. He kind of put some things together on emotionally resilient people. And let's just go through a few of them. The first one is they know their boundaries. And they understand that there's a separation between who they are and maybe these temporary emotions that they are feeling. That's not defining them. That's a big one. Their temporary depression doesn't become part of their identity. The other one that was really interesting is they keep good company. I mean, if you're around negative, depressed, cynical, hateful, frustrated people, they're going to suck the life out of you. Emotions are very contagious. And so they just look around. Now, sometimes it's family and you have to spend time with them and other people, maybe friends you can spend less time with or cut off altogether. Because if you're around people that are just sucking the life out of you, becoming very negative and angry and always complaining and this and that, there's no hope, why try? That could really hurt every aspect of your life and your success. Yeah, that's true. Go ahead. Sorry. No, you're good. The another one is they practice acceptance, right? Pain, stress, healing, depression. Sometimes we need those emotions. We just need to be able to, to deal with and understand them. Okay, I'm feeling depressed. Why am I feeling depressed or angry? It's okay to feel the emotions. It's just we can't bury that emotion, pretend it doesn't exist, pretend that it does not bother us. And here's one that he mentioned that I also talked about in Laws of Charisma when I interviewed really successful people, and you'll hear this a lot, is that this one is they're willing to sit in silence. And that's hard for people who don't deal with their emotions because they want the TV on, they want to eat, they want to do drugs, they have all this risky behavior because they don't want to be alone with their thoughts. And there's two things here. It's important to be alone with your thoughts, right? It tells you a lot what's happening on the inside. And the second thing is this is a big success skill taking time to listen to that instinct, that intuition, that inner voice, to take time to be alone with your thoughts, to listen to what's going on, what should you do that day, those type of things, comes up time and time again when you interview successful people. And another one, the last one we'll talk about here is they know they don't have all the answers, right? They know that this emotion a lot of time is a mechanism to regulate stress. It's a mechanism to protect our self-esteem. So when we try to find the answers to difficult questions or traumatic events, sometimes we can't. I mean, when you're depressed about a death or an accident or why me, a lot of times we can't come up with those answers. We don't know why things happen a lot of times. Things happen. Sometimes it's positive. Sometimes it's negative. If we're always racking our brains trying to figure out why, 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 there's no way. This is life. We're not going to get all those answers all the time. And you just have to say, you know, I don't know. I'll deal with it. I'll face it and I'll move on. So That emotional intelligence, understanding your emotions, dealing with your emotions is a powerful thing. Again, the worst thing you can do is bury your emotions. That's where all that addictive behavior comes from. But if you can just understand, okay, I'm feeling angry. Why is that? Where is that coming from? 
okay, let's address it. Then it's okay you're dealing with it because when you can mm -hmm. do it to yourself, now all of a sudden when you're in a negotiation and someone's getting angry, and remember the rule is only one person angry at a time, you can understand that. You can deal with it because you can do it to yourself and you can help them out because most people have no clue. They're angry and they're going to yell. They don't know why, but that's what they do. Yep. That's a good article. That's so important. That book on emotional intelligence by Daniel Goleman and being able to understand your your own emotions. Some people are just perpetual five-year-olds and their emotions are blowing them everywhere they go and there's no logic or, or reason to what they do. But if you can uh, get a grasp on that, you have a chance at being very successful. That's so important. And that's one thing people forget all the time is the emotional aspect of influence, of leadership, and of success. Yep. So last week we talked about the mindset of objections. We've been working on that for a little while here. I'm sure everybody would like to know how you actually solve them because there are some that just plague everybody. And we understand where they're coming from now and why people are talking about them. How do we solve some of these classic objections? For example, the I don't have the money. Well, let's assume that they actually might. We're, we're setting aside the fact that you, you might be talking to a broke person, like legitimately. <laughs> Well, you can use the Al Capone method and use a baseball bat. That right? works. That's, yeah. <laughs> says you can get pretty far with a nice word, but you get much further with a nice word and a gun or a baseball bat. But <laughs> that's a good We'll quote. put that one aside for now and assume that's yeah. not what we're doing. Okay, let's listen <laughs> well, Let's to that. talk about objections in general, and then we'll get into specifics as far as there's really a kind of a seven-step process we follow in solving objections. Hopefully, you've listened to the previous podcast where we talked about, all right, is it a knee-jerk objection? Is it a real objection? That's the first thing you do. Well, so... We've gone through that. We know it's a real objection. So the first thing you have to ask yourself is, can you solve it? The worst thing you can do is solve an objection that doesn't really exist or solve an objection that you have no power to solve. For example, if you were selling furniture and to an office and they were going into bankruptcy, it doesn't matter what you do or you say. It doesn't matter. Don't waste your time. You can't solve it. So you got to find that up front. Is this something you can truly solve, right? Yeah. yeah. That's important. So yeah. that's the first one. And the second one, with any objection, you have to let them finish. A lot of persuaders, and we've talked about this before, but this is so important, is that you hear the same objections over and over again. You have a great answer, so you cut them off because it's good time management. You have the answer. But you've just crossed that plane from confident to cocky or arrogant. It's the first time they've voiced it. You have to let them finish. You have to listen and then resolve it. Because if you cut them off to save a little time, it's actually going to take you more time to close that deal. So let them finish. You're a consultant. You're listening. You're the doctor. They're asking this question. Let them finish. Very important. I can't tell you how many, how many times that has been really effective. I'll use a real-life example. Some of the properties I flip are in a, a part of town where there's been a lot of settling in the foundations of the home. So you get a little bit of cracking and settling that happens. And many of the people that live there, it's a great area and people just kind of deal with it, right? It's a good area. People know that's part of it, that there's a difference between some settling and a serious foundation problem. Okay. And when you're going to resell these houses that you're flipping, a lot of times people are going to go, well, it looks like there's some settling, right? Because what, what do you think when you hear foundation, right? You, sirens go off. Oh no, this is a huge problem. Right. And my broker taught me, he's like, look, th that's the facts of life over there. And so when somebody says that, you just kind of look at them and go, yeah, let them talk about it. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of sit there and they think about it and they talk themselves right out of it. 
<laughs> because you let them get it out and they just realize that, well, this one's going to work itself out. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense because a lot of times people just throw objections at you and when you let them finish, a lot of times they realize, oh, that wasn't that big of an objection. Or maybe I shouldn't have brought it up. That was, or that was kind of stupid. Then they decide for themselves. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons you let them do it. Let's it sounds the silly. out. Let them talk. And a lot of times like, oh, well, I guess, well, every house is like that. And <laughs> uh-huh. what are you going to do? So let them finish. The third one is restate. So what you're saying is the foundations or what you're saying is what you're trying to say. Let me make sure I understand exactly what you're saying. Because when you restate it and when they hear you say it, might not sound like a big deal to them and you want to make sure you're solving the wrong objection because nothing takes the emotion out of a sale faster than solving the wrong objection okay so restate fourth one is and a lot of persuaders don't think about this is always compliment your goal as a persuader is keep that objection door open keep the question door open and we've all been in college before where we'd ask a question the professor made us feel stupid so when they give you a question or objection, say, thank you. And this is where you check your ego in at the door. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. I should have explained that better. I should have spent more time. You probably said it perfectly, but they weren't listening. Something has happened. They're thinking about something else. It doesn't matter. We're not I already talked about that. Say, so, oh, I appreciate it. Thank you for bringing it up. I should have talked about it. Let's focus on that a little bit more. Compliment them and keep the door open. Let them know you are open for questions and objections because a lot of persuaders get all tense and uneasy like we've talked about. And they get all mad that someone, how dare they have a question? How dare they have an objection? How dare they question my presentation? Very important when you're solving objections. Mm -hmm. The next one is don't be condescending. Well, duh. But a lot of times you don't think you're condescending, but you are. And the way you answer it and the way you say it, and that will shut the door too. They do not like that. You're not condescending. You appreciate it. The way you handle it doesn't matter if you've heard it a thousand times before. And the last one is give them room to save face. You don't back them into a corner. You don't prove them they're wrong. You don't get the statistic out and say, look, no, you're wrong. You can slowly show them that they're wrong. But if you're saying, no, you're wrong, you shouldn't ask that, look at the numbers. When you prove someone's wrong, it really hurts the persuasion process. You can let them find out that they were wrong on their own through things that you're saying. But if you back them into a corner... They're going to come out swinging because the human brain needs to be right. The the man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still, right? It's exactly like that. We were up at the mountains with my family around this small little lake, and there's this moose, this baby moose. It was a really small lake, and people were surrounding this lake taking pictures. Ooh, baby moose, baby moose. <laughs> but when it was backed into a corner, there was no way out, completely surrounded. It charged. Right at my son, by the way. I pulled him out of the way. But that's what people do. You back them into a corner. They don't see a way out. You prove them that they're wrong. They're going to come out charging, trying to prove that they are yep. right. Yep. So those are the things with objections that you can do right now to solve them in the right way. And yeah. let them know that, hey, this is a great thing. Thank you for answering. Like we talked about, you follow those steps. It'll be much easier for you. I can't tell you how good it felt when I realized I didn't have to solve every objection. <laughs> when I recognized that, A, look, there's some of these that you're just not gonna. And it's so much more, you feel so, so emotionally liberated when you go, hey, I'm cutting this one loose onto the next one. I'm not going to get every single one of them. And I either can't or I just don't want to solve this objection and I don't want to deal with it. I had a person who wanted me to list their house for them. This was last week. 
And she said, well, what do, uh, what do real estate agents make? And I said, well, typically there's a 6% commission that's laid out to the real estate agents. And this was a low end house, right? And a lot of times it takes just as much work to sell a $100,000 house as it does a million dollar house. Okay. And she says, well, that's outrageous. That's just outrageous. I am not willing to pay more than 2%. And I said, well, I might list it for 2%. And she said, no, no, 2% total. And I said, you have a nice day <laughs> because I could tell even if I negotiated and, and went up to a higher percentage that there was going to be some other issue with this client. And no matter what, I wasn't going to be able to make them happy. And even if I got the transaction done, the amount of work for such a little amount of money wasn't going to be worth it. It wasn't an objection I could solve or one that I wanted to solve. And I walked away and it feels good. Sometimes it feels good to fire a client, doesn't it? <laughs> It does. I said, nope, not going to work. Don't want to work with you. You're too high maintenance. <laughs> it's yep. not going to be worth it. And a lot of times they'll come back and say, no, no, I'll be good. I'll be good. <laughs> yeah. And that's where you want to be because if you're always groveling and taking any deal, then it just, it hurts. I think it hurts your psyche, number one. And number two, it's it's just not worth the time. And, that, and you bring up a good point with handling objections. There's actually four times when you can handle objection. The first one you brought up is never. I mean, if it's a knee-jerk reaction, it's way out there has nothing to do with it. Sometimes you just don't even deal with it. The second one is handling it right away. Handling it right away. And especially if it's something that's on their mind they keep bringing up. The next one is later. Sometimes it might be, say, look, let me establish a foundation before I answer that. And you're going to see how this comes into play. And then the other one be before it even happens. So you got to decide. It doesn't have to happen just then. And I like the never approach. Sometimes it's just never and you just don't want to deal with it because it, there's just no reason to, to solve it for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good points. And then getting, like we talked about a little bit earlier, letting them say all of it is just so much of a benefit because I alluded to it earlier. A lot of times they realize that it's just silly. And you've all been in that situation too i know i have where we're having an objection and and once we say it we just go yeah I, now that i say it out loud it sounded better in my head <laughs> yeah that's the right way to say it it sounded better in my head <laughs> so let them get it out that's an emotional process that they need to go through and and so many times these take care of themselves i get a lot of emails from clients that hey this happened with the house or this problem right and i've learned to not respond right away, unless it's absolutely clear that I need to. But a lot of times when it's just kind of a general issue, I'll just sit on it for three or four hours before I answer, because sometimes the answer or what I need to do becomes more clear to me. But a lot of times too, they've thought it through and all of a sudden they can write me back, hey, you know what, I took care of it. Uh, no, it's, it's solved. I thought about it and we're good. And so instead of me getting in there and proposing all these solutions that are just going to complicate my life, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So very good tips from you today, Kurt. Uh, you're on your A game. You obviously were not in Colorado for a few days like me. <laughs> no, I'm in uh, breathing the fresh air, enjoying the last part of summer. Is it fall yet? Is it still summer? We are recording on the last day of summer. Oh, that's kind of depressing. It kind of is, but you know, it's it's going to be a little warm for a while. We got football. It's not going to be super cold just yet. Yeah, football makes up for that. There's some great games this weekend, both college and pro. So, all right, we'll let fall come in. Listeners, by the time you're listening to this, fall is here. We'll be the first to welcome fall, and especially on the East Coast, enjoy your fall. It's one of my favorite things 
living in the East Coast is the fall is just so beautiful out there. Yeah, we don't have enough trees out here in the West. And, you know, for example, in California, the leaves don't really change that much at all. So fall in the, in the Midwest or the East Coast, it's just beautiful. Yeah, that's good stuff. The wind blowing, the change of leaves. And Death, then we're changing season, so get ready. Yeah, then January comes and you get the bill for yeah. your awesome fall. <laughs> yeah, the January, February, March is like, okay, we're done, we're done. Yeah, That's yeah. when you got to go to Jamaica and, and rejuvenate and recharge those batteries. So I should put that on our list of emotionally resilient people. Yes. Go to the Caribbean, go to the beach, do beach therapy, because that helps you emotionally in every aspect of your life. Yeah, yeah. We said last year that we wanted to go somewhere not too far after Christmas, not necessarily that week between Christmas and New Year's, but maybe sometime in early to mid-January to just break it up a little bit. And I think we were planning it out this year and already really excited because that's kind of tough if you live somewhere cold that time of year. You just So the last part of January, first part of February is going to be Cancun, Cozumel, Jamaica, Puerto Rico, the Dominican Republic. Any of those will work. Yeah. Warm air, sand, good food. It's all you need. That's probably why so many people don't achieve their goals that they set right at the new year because – what a tough time of year to go into it. It's like there are no good holidays and not any good weather for two months. Here are your goals. Have fun, <laughs> right? Yeah, we'll have to do some research. See if more people in California keep their goals versus Wisconsin. Yeah, right, right. The San Diego goal achievement rate, much higher than Madison, Wisconsin. <laughs> That's right, during January and February. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Miami beats them all, but uh, I know that's not true, so... We're going to go into some blunders and some ninjas. How about we queue up Homer? Homer, bring it on. Don't, don't, don't. So you're all going to love this one because raise your hand if you like your medical insurance company. <laughs> Crickets. Yeah. Mm. Can you get a sound of a tumbleweed rolling across the room on here? Because it's quiet. Nobody <laughs> likes it. And I know I had an appendectomy once. And I got the bill for the overnight hospital stay. I was in the hospital from about 8 p.m. to 11 a.m. And the bill was shocking. I told the nurse, I said, I could go down to the Ritz-Carlton in Laguna Beach, rent out the penthouse, rent a Lamborghini, uh, get all the most expensive bottles of champagne, go all out, and it would not be this much. right? And you guys came in and poked me in the arm with my IV every 30 minutes. right? So... This article is pretty interesting off of Newser. I love Newser. If, if listeners, if you want to just get a quick glimpse at what's going on in the world, get Newser. It's an app on your iPhone or your uh, or your Droid, and they just take every big news story and distill it down into two paragraphs. In five minutes, you know what's going on. And this article is about why medical patients get huge surprise bills. All right, and I'll read it to you here, and make sure you're sitting down. Make sure you've taken your blood pressure medication that you were clearly overcharged for. All right. So off a newser, Peter Dreyer's neck surgery bills didn't surprise him. Even $133,000 from the anesthesiologist and $56,000 from his Manhattan hospital. But what was $117,000 from an assistant surgeon? Dreyer, a bank technology manager, had run into a growing U.S. phenomenon known as drive-by doctoring, the New York Times reports. In such cases, consultants, assistants, and other hospital workers who are out-of-network providers will shock insurers or patients with formidable fees, often 20 to 40 times above the usual rates. This has gotten really bad and it's wrong, says Louisiana Insurance Commissioner, but trying to change it means facing a hornet's nest of financial interest. So why the big fees? 
Maybe it's because Medicare and insurers have been paying surgeons and healthcare workers less money. Neurosurgeons, for example, saw their average base salary fall from 630 grand in 2010 to 590 this year, according to a staffing firm. Boo-hoo, by the way. But such <laughs> billing strategies like calling the operation an emergency so a second surgeon can secure a separate payment raise serious questions, say the Times. Insurers have sued over the fees or refused to work with surgeons who change them, and a few states are offering legal protection against surprise bills. Meanwhile, the Wall Street Journal offers tips to avoid them, like consulting with your insurer and doctor before receiving medical treatment. But obviously, this isn't always possible. Like, Kurt, if you go in for uh, you know, an emergency surgery or you just don't know what's happening, who's to say they're not calling in all these bogus uh, insurers and calling things different methods that you just don't know, right? And then you get slapped with that bill. Huge blunder here, and it's everybody. It's the Medicaid and Medicare programs. It's the insurers. It's the doctors. It's created a, an atmosphere where nobody trusts them and everybody hates them. And we're increasingly trying to get away from this and avoiding doctors and hospitals as much as we can, because talk about a con. You are the blunder, sir, and may God have mercy on your soul, right? <laughs> well, that's what's interesting about the whole medical insurance, the medical industry. Where else do you go into an appointment and say, I don't know what you're going to charge me, just do what you need to do. If you're going to buy a car or go to a lawyer or go anywhere, we're going to know up front what the fees are going to be. Now, all of a sudden, the medical community, no, we're not going to tell you now. We don't know right now, but I'm sure it's going to be high. Well, how ridiculous. And we've let ourselves as a society slip into this where we just put up with it. But you would not tolerate it for a second in any other industry. Not at all. No, that's why a lot of doctors, you can go in there and say, look, I want to pay cash. What's that going to cost? Like, oh, it's probably one-fifth of the normal bill because A, they know they're going to get paid, and B, they don't have to do any paperwork, and C, that's the fair rate. You go in, oh, look, I want a checkup. How much is it? No insurance. You'd be surprised how much money you would save versus, and the headache versus just going through all the insurance. Yeah, yeah. If you had, like, fast food insurance, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> you go into Burger King, hey, yeah, here's my fast food insurance card. You get a bill for your Whopper two weeks later for 75 bucks, right? That's what would happen here. It is. I have a lot of those little small places, and it's all about the insurance. I remember having a pneumonia, and I said, I have a pneumonia. I can feel it. Can you prescribe some prescriptions? They, they listen to my chest. Yeah, you do have pneumonia. Yeah, well, you do. And I said, well, let's take x-rays just in case. I'm like, you just said I had pneumonia. Uh huh. Yeah, you do, but just in case it's x-ray. I'm like, no, no. You're just trying to hike up my bill. Just give me the prescription and we'll leave as friends. Yeah, yeah. The radiologist needs to get on the train here, right? That's Everybody's right. Picking at Kurt's carcass. <laughs> That's right. The vultures are circling. Wow, we got to do a brain scan. Oh, yeah. well, he's drooling and foaming at the mouth. We better get him into an insane asylum. We get a consult from a psychiatrist, right? Just. <laughs> yeah, it's bananas. It's bananas. So there you go. That's the blunder is the medical billing industry. You guys suck. <laughs> yeah. Is that the sugar-coated version? That's the, I'm, I'm willing to just go ahead and say it, and I don't care if I offend them. You know, we, we offend people in jest and we on the show, but this one's not in jest. You guys are super lame. So <laughs> let's go on to a ninja. Can you cue the ninja? Ninja. <laughs> Bring it All on. All right. And these guys, the ninja today, Apple computers. We have oh, given yeah. them props on the show and I think whether you love or hate Apple, you have to give them credit because are they not the kings of branding? They know how to brand. And that's interesting. When someone does so well with branding, there's a love-hate relationship. There's very lukewarm, neutral people with Apple. It's either your brand or your anti. You go to any 
party and you pull out half the people have droids, half the people have Apple, and it's going to come up time and time again. Of course, what you own is the best. Yeah. So that's part of it. But their branding and how they launch and what, how did they sell? They just launched, what was the Apple 6? Uh, iPhone 6 and iPhone 6 Plus, yeah. iPhone 6. And all right, how many did they sell? on Was it the first 24 hours? 10 million iPhones <laughs> over that first weekend that they were available, according to Wall Street Journal. 10 million. And if I believe that's up dramatically from their last launch, isn't it? And yeah, it is. They're still going strong. It's funny, as we're, as we're recording this, I have on my iPad, I can watch TV and I kind of have the news playing in the background. And there's a, a Apple iPhone commercial going with uh, the band U2 is on there rocking out. You know, I, Apple iTunes users got the whole album uh, that first weekend that it came out and nobody else did. And they're just so good at creating that because I don't know if you've noticed, there's been a lot of clever commercials over the last few years coming from Samsung and, and those people uh, making fun of iPhones and Siri and how they're simple and they just don't do all these things that on paper, the Droid and, and those phones are, are allegedly so much better. And they're pretty clever commercials. And I'm an Apple iPhone user. And a few times I've gone, hey, freaking Siri doesn't do that. I'm mad, right? <laughs> But, that means it's a good commercial. It worked. Yeah, it worked. However, the branding is so powerful that they come out of nowhere. And and you've seen these ads where the iPhone 6 is doing what some of these other phones were already doing two years ago. But uh, I was in uh, Colorado Springs a few days ago, had to make a drive up north of Denver, and I needed a new mouse for my laptop. And I thought, oh, I'll swing by the Apple store. And there's 200 people in line at the freaking Apple store. The phone was released a week ago. I thought, oh, geez, that's just crazy. These, these people will buy whatever that company puts out. That's a true ninja. They could release Apple toilet paper, and it would sell out. <laughs> Apple toilet paper. Let's put that on the list. Yeah, let's That's play. true. Once you have that branding, people are very loyal. And like you said, there were some things that Apple just didn't do that the others did. But hey, once you've convinced yourself it's the best, you're an Apple person, you've defended Apple to all the droid users, that branding sticks, and people are loyal for a long time. Yep, and they're very good at it. Very good at it. So... Well, there you go. That's what we have for today, everybody. Kurt, do you have anything to say before we shut her down for the week? Everyone have a great week. Wishing you massive success. Remember, objections are good. They indicate interest. Welcome them. Keep the door open for more, and you'll become a power persuader. There you go, everybody. Go ahead and listen to the show. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Windows Marketplace, whether you're Apple or a droid person. <laughs> If you're neither and you just think that this is all a bunch of silliness, just go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com and you can listen right there on the website. We appreciate you listening and we will catch you next week. See you next week. 